Morning, everybody. Pastor Stefan DeWitt, uh, and like Cameron, I'm also too good for a name tag. Sorry. <laughs> Got your back, Cameron, wherever you're at. Uh, please, if you would, turn in your Bibles to James chapter 3. So like Sam said before, we're currently um, following the lectionary and doing a sermon series on the epistle of James. James is a relentlessly practical person. He was a pastor in the city of Jerusalem in the first century, and so all of his theological concerns are very rooted in, in, in practical, pastoral, on-the-ground kinds of things. So as you read James, you can tell that he has this great, big, wonderful, majestic, fabulous view of God, but he also has a very deep, practical concern for people and for situations and for how things um, should function on a, on, a, on a very ground level. So let's have a read James chapter 3, the verse, first 12 verses. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect and able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olive leaves or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. This is the word of the Lord. So in the first part of the text... James uses three metaphors to illustrate the power of our tongues. He says our tongues are like little bits, little rudders, and little sparks. Like the little bit in the mouth of a great animal. Like the little rudder on the hull of a massive ship. Or like a little spark in a dry forest. Our tongues are really small and they are most often unseen, but they can have an absolutely massive impact. So what does it mean for us to try to tame our tongues? What would it look like if our tongues 
were tamed. Would that mean that we didn't use any bad words? Is that what we're talking about here? I remember a time in my life um, when I was a kid, and my, um, my three sons went through this too. Uh, I, I remember a time when I was a kid where I thought that this was all very, very simple um, in my mind. There were good words and there were naughty words, right? There were some words that you can say, and there are some words that you cannot say. And I always thought that if the adults would just get together and put the, make a list of the ones that you can't say, I would be able to avoid them. That would be kind of a fun thing to do, to make a list of those words. But it's not that simple, is it? In fact, the more time that you spend with James, the more time that you spend with this text, the more obvious it is that James is not talking about naughty words. He's not talking about swears. If only it were that simple. James is talking about a kind of speech that can destroy people. He's talking about a kind of speech that can, that can destroy relationships and destroy churches and destroy uh, communities. He's talking about tone. And he's talking about truth-telling. And he's talking about traces of cynicism and traces of sarcasm. And he's talking about toxic negativity. And he's talking about toxic positivity both of which are lies. Words are so important. I was reading a, a theologian a while back, and I, for the life of me, I can't remember who it was. Uh, but he or she was making the point that Christians ought to take words more seriously than anyone else in the world. And the reason for this, he or she says, is because God takes words more seriously than anyone else in the world. Have you ever considered how the entire first chapter of, of the Bible is about the creative power of words? Right? How does God create the universe in chapter 1? Uh, Genesis chapter 1, he speaks it into being. He speaks it. He uses words. That's, that's not a strange coincidence. He uses words to create the physical, spiritual, social, and biological ecosystems in which we live and thrive. God creates universes with his words. And then, in the climax of Scripture, when God empties himself and he becomes a human being in order to be with human beings and to rescue human beings, what do we call that person? His name was Jesus. But what was one of his descriptions? He was the word of God. Wow. The word of God. And the word that Jesus brings is one of repentance and of forgiveness and of reconciliation and of, of uh, acceptance and of grace. Jesus is God's way of speaking those things into our ecosystems. Jesus is God's way of creating in a Genesis 1 type of fashion the things that he wants to be in our universes, in our lives. So the, the, the power of words is a foundational Christian idea. The power of words is a foundational Christian idea, and it springs from the identity of God, of God, from God himself, that words are incomprehensibly 
powerful. Words can create universes and they can destroy universes. They can build people up and they can tear people down. They can invite people in and they can, ex- they can push people out. You know, the one thing that all of the most influential people in all of history had in common is that they were masters of words. Masters of words. All of the most influential people were very, very powerful, uh, just for good and for evil. Think about the last hundred years. From Martin Luther King Jr., right, to Adolf Hitler. These, these, who were these guys? They were orators. They were orators. They were wordsmiths. They were writers. They were charismatic vision casters. And through the power of their words, they carried great influence over people. One of them for good and one of them for Satan himself. Right? This is the power of words. So, you and I, we are not God, <laughs> headline, you're not God. However, we are made in the image of God, so there are, in a handful of ways, we are God-like. One of the ways that we are God-like is that we have the power to create and to destroy ecosystems with our words alone. With the flip of a tongue, we can create new realities in which people around us will, uh, could grow, could thrive, or could expand, or could just wither in on themselves and die. And this is especially true of vulnerable people, isn't it? Of vulnerable people. People who are easily influenced, like children. Some, some of us are... are recovering from this being a reality for us. But what happens when a child hears a message over and over again about how stupid they are? Right? Or about uh, uh, what a bother they are. Or what if they hear these messages over and over again about how hopeless they are? These words create these ecosystems in which this child will grow or not grow. Which is why I think uh, the chapter begins the way it does. Did you pick this out, teachers? James is like, you know, not many of you should even think about being teachers. And when he says teachers there, he's, he's, he's meaning in the church and also in the public realm, right? Preachers, teachers, Sunday school teachers. Not many of you should even try to take that up because the responsibility is just absolutely massive. Think about the responsibility of creating an an ecosystem where growth and creativity and acceptance and grace can thrive. That does not come naturally to many of us. Only to a very few of us does that kind of thing come naturally. That is a very hard thing to cultivate. So, like, maybe you just shouldn't even be a teacher, James says. Wow. But it's not just children who are impacted by words, right? We all are. We can, we can pretend like we're not. Um, I used to think that adults were not so impacted by words anymore. It's just adults are better at pretending like they're not impacted by, by words. That's what it is. I didn't figure that out until recently. Adults are just good at pretending like words don't impact them. 
at least to some degree, uh, we all have a self-image that is the accumulation of what everyone has said about us over the years. Right? Our self-image is the accumulation of what everyone has said about us over our years. And there are some voices in the back of our heads that we cannot shake. And there are some descriptions or some words uh, that, we, that we cannot escape. And there are some people who, when they speak, like they have our number, right? They have, they have our number. So James is saying, let's not underestimate the power of words. With words, God created the universe. With words, God sent his son into the universe to save the universe. Our words create the ecosystem in which we live. Our worlds, our words fill the air, sometimes with grace and sometimes with poison. So what are we supposed to do about this? It's kind of interesting. James... Um, in the text, he comes at this from, from two different angles. And like a, a great pastor, he contradicts himself. But, so it's really interesting. At the beginning of the chapter, verses 1 to 3, he seems to be saying that if, he's saying, hey, if you can control your tongue, your tongue is the, it's the rudder on the ship, right? So if you can control your tongue, then you can control your heart. He seems to be saying that the tongue is first. The tongue is the bit in the horse's mouth. The tongue is the rudder on the ship. And if you can get your tongue under control, then the rest of yourself will come under control as well. Uh, uh, Then you'll get your heart under control as well. But then at the very end of our text, James seems to be saying the opposite. And he seems to be saying that, no, 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 your heart comes first. It's the thing that's inside of you that has to come first. And if you get your heart under control, your tongue will follow so in verse 12, he said, he's actually quoting Jesus here, and he says, my brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olive leaves? No. Can a grapevine bear figs? No. Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. So he seems to be saying that the thing that's inside of you, your heart, produces what comes out of you, your tongue. So if you can get your heart under control, he's saying at the end of the chapter, you can get your tongue under, under control. So contradictory pastor. Perfect. Which is it? Should we focus on our tongues to get our hearts in line, or should we focus on our hearts to get our tongues in line? And of course, the answer is yes. We need an intervention on both counts, right? We need an intervention right here, and we need one way down here. So James is saying, be careful the things that you say with your tongue because the things that you say with your tongue will affect your heart. And at the same time, he says, be careful the things that you let in your heart because the things that you let in your heart are going to overflow out from your tongue. This is uh, why I keep saying the word ecosystem because it seems to me like such an ecosystem when it comes to our, when it comes to our, t- our, our tongues. Uh, if we pollute the place where we live, we're going to be breathing in our own pollution. Right? 
So if we put poison in the air, then poison is what we're going to be taking into ourselves. So if we're putting poison out into the air, we're not just hurting others, but we're also hurting ourselves. The poison finds its way into the air. It finds its way into the soil. It grows up in our food, and then we eat it. This is, um, it's kind of a new perspective on what Jesus says about do unto others as you would have them do to you because what you're doing to others, like that just goes out into the ecosystem and then it comes back to you. Like you can't expect to treat people like trash and then not be treated like trash. Folks, we're breathing our own air. We're breathing our own air. Think about that for a second. We're breathing our own air. Sometimes I'll get frustrated with the world and I'll think things like, where did all of this anger and all this anxiety and all of this bitterness come from? Us. <laughs> We're breathing our own air. Me. It came from me. We all have people in our lives who are particularly poisonous, right? They live among us. We all have people in our lives who are particularly poisonous in the words that they use. Um, why, why are they that way? Why do some people really have a hard time with this? Well, that's a really complicated question. But one reason is that they're constantly breathing their own air. Their heart has been corrupted by their tongue, which has been corrupted by their heart, which has been corrupted by their tongue, which has been corrupted by their... And they're breathing their own air. And so there needs to be an intervention, right? With the tongue and with their heart, there needs to be an, inter an intervention because these folks are poisoning themselves to death. And you and I need to be really careful not to get sucked into their cycle because it can kill us. You and I need to have boundaries with poisonous people because we cannot have their ecosystems corrupting ours. We need boundaries with poisonous people. Now, this doesn't mean that we don't, we don't try to inject a little oxygen, <laughs> a little fresh oxygen into their lives when we have the chance. We do. We do do that. However, we don't take any deep breaths when we're around these folks, do we? No, 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 no. We can't. We can't. We don't. There are some people around whom we just can't take deep breaths. And that's okay. On the flip side, however, we have our grandmas. Right? We have that friend. We have that loved one. We have that one person, that confidant, that group of people. We have that one really special someone. When, when we enter their ecosystem, it suddenly feels brilliant and it feels refreshing and it feels wonderful, right? We're talking like 
farm-raised, organic, pesticide-free, <laughs> easy-breathing, life-giving, heart-swelling, tongue-rejoicing ecosystems. And to those people, we need to flock. Because their pristine ecosystem will only help to improve ours. Let me end with this, this one idea. Um, you know the word, you've heard the word benediction. It's a very churchy word. Uh, it's a Latin word. Uh, benediction. Bene means good. Diction means word. So benediction is simply a good word. Every week, at the end of the service here at Elgin Park Church, you, re- you get a-, a benediction free of charge. And it is meant to be a special word, a special good word, which is directly from God. Sam or I might be the ones who are saying it, but it's, it's not from us. It's at best through us. And it's directly to you all and to us too. It's a good word directly from God where he speaks truth into our ecosystems, where he pumps fresh oxygen into our ecosystems, and he tells us the truth about ourselves. And he tells us the truth about the world. And he tells us the truth about his great love for us. And we, we breathe that in together. It strikes me, a lot, of, a lot of you folks, and this is so wonderful, you hold your hands out like this when we give the benediction. It's just right, because you're just holding that fresh air right in front of you, and you're sucking it in, right? That's the benediction. But then, the idea is that you and I would become little benedictions. Having breathed that fresh oxygen in, that we would become little good words, and we would bring those little good words into the little ecosystems in which we live our lives. And so this fresh air that God breathed into us goes through us, and it becomes fresh air for other people to to breathe. But then, finally, and I think most importantly, When we talk about a benediction, we have to talk about Jesus. Because Jesus is the ultimate benediction. He's the ultimate good word. He's the word of God. And Jesus goes ahead of us. And so the same God that spoke creation into being, the same God who showed up and ate with prostitutes and tax collectors and shared love with them is the same God who walks three paces in front of us and spreads his good word wherever we go. And so how can we not have just a little bit of hope? How can we not think about our cosmic ecosystem and God's great love for our cosmic ecosystem and how he has promised to continue to breathe his perfect word into it? So God's benediction, his good words are to us and they're through us, but in Jesus they're also beyond us and they're ahead of us. And so we can live with hope knowing that our meager efforts to tame our tongues, to intervene with our hearts, that those small efforts will ultimately come to fruition because of the power of God's great benediction who goes before us. So for the sake of all of us, 
and for this ecosystem and for the air that we breathe, how will you stage an intervention with your tongue this week? How will you stage an intervention with your tongue this week? And then how will you stage a similar one with your heart? Pray with me. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are the good word to us. You are the good word about us. And you are the good word ahead of us. We scrounge together all of the hope that we can muster this morning, God, trusting that you're doing in each of us what you're also doing for this cosmos, which is reconciling it, telling it the truth about itself, and bringing all of your goodness to fruition in it. We thank you, Christ, for your love. We thank you for the goodness of your word. In your holy name we pray. Amen.